We've been talking about um, the words in our language that are uh, that they're, they're fun for people to use, and we like to use them a lot, and or maybe you don't. Um, some of you, uh, as we've been going through this series, I, I can tell that some of you are in environments where you hear a lot of these. He, uh, Bruce is nodding his head. Some of you are like, no, I've never really heard that. Some of these, today we're going we're gonna to definitely... Uh, some of those who are definitely in the business area have, have, have heard this one. Um, but you'll notice that all of these things have to do with kind of doing things better than we've done done before. That's, we're, we're always uh, trying to do things better, and that's, that's, uh, that's a good thing. Uh, models that we sought uh, and we thought were so perfect yesterday are gone. Uh, I was just this morning, we were talking about, and... Uh, and the, about phones, just the, how, how things have changed, and I, uh, so now Katie's phone goes off, and, and it's a, you know I think I, we have the same stupid iPhone ringtone, and and as and I was thinking, it's like, do you remember the Nokia? Like that's gone. It is, we we now have something different. I forget what it is now, but but just things move on and things change. It's like that used to be a sign, or that used to be a, a noise that we recognized immediately, and that's gone. It's a, it, we we look for new things, and just things keep on changing. Um, and and even God, this is interesting that even God has designed things that He wanted to upgrade on. Right? There's a thing called an Old Testament, and. And, he, and then we have a New Testament. Well, did God, like, ah, that product wasn't really good. Well, God designed it to be replaced, and that's a difference. Um, but we're going to come to a word today that kind of has to do uh, with this idea. And you've heard this one, optimize. You've got to optimize everything. And uh, this word has something to do with being efficient, and so that's what we're talking about uh, And throughout the course of this thing, we've been talking about things that ideas that a lot of times people think that they've come up with right because of our business world and God has really pioneered this idea a long time ago God God came up with optimizing things and God came up with we talked about being sustainable uh, God was thing, doing things sustainable a long time ago and, and and sometimes what man comes up with and thinks is the right way to, to, to do things, God says, no, no, that's not really the right way to do things. And we're going to kind of look at a mixture of those. And, and remembering that as we go through this, we're talking about our public faith. We're talking about um, how we uh, display our convictions and our, 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 our belief in God to the world and the community around us. And so, so these ideas, we're going to talk about optimizing uh, whatever resources we have, we want to put them to the best use. Right? You've all gone into the to a to a store and you've seen new and improved and an advertisement, new and improved. But you will look to the left or the right of that product, and you will still see the old and inferior product still being sold by the same company. You ever thought? Well, if you have the new and improved. Why do you still have that? I mean, we talk about Jesus and God, they've, they've upgraded, right? They, we have a New Testament. But when God did that, Hebrews says that in saying the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, he, there's a new one, and the old one is obsolete. You can't find it anymore. So, so when God upgrades, 
He gets rid of the inferior, but, but you can still go, and, and, and I understand this, you know, you go in and some people can't afford the same product, so they want to wear Levi's jeans, so, so they can go, and, and, and Levi's now makes a model that's maybe inferior, and it doesn't last as long, but you want that label or whatever, so, so there's a market for that. Some people don't want to pay for a high-priced tool, you know, you can't buy Milwaukee tools, so you go and uh, you can buy a heart. You ever seen the heart at the Walmart? That's Milwaukee. Uh, just a lower grade, uh, that's a lower grade version of the same thing. And, and so, so there's, there's a market for that. But when God upgrades his product, if it needs to be upgraded, uh, he discards the old one. Now, sometimes business models agree with Christ's method. Things that we've, we've come up with and we say, well, this is a great idea. And, and sometimes not. Sometimes uh, sometimes ideas we've come up with are, are not the right way to do things. And we're going to look at, as I say, a mixture of that. And we're going to do so with a number of other uh, different types of uh, buzzwords that you've heard, uh, maybe or maybe not, uh, in vis- various fields that kind of are surrounding the idea of optimizing or being more efficient. And there's one that you may or may not heard. Anybody heard this one? Touch points. Touch points. Uh, what does that mean? I had not heard of this one, actually. Uh, and, and every, I'm, I'm just looking at, uh, there's a thing you can go and print off buzzword bingo cards. You know what that is? And you can play buzzword bingo at the office and, and everyone gets a different card. And, and you listen to your manager and you cross it off and someone uses bingo. <laughs> or text it, you text it to, to somebody when, when you've gotten five in a row. Uh, so... Uh, and this was on all of them. I was like, I've never heard of touch points. So, so let me explain touch points because I had to re- do some research. I'm not in a business field. In fact, I'm kind of the only one in my office, so, um, so I don't talk to myself a lot. Well, sometimes I do, but uh, so I don't need any buzzwords. That's, that's a good thing. So this is a touch point. So you have you, you if you're a business of, of some sort, and, and you have a customer over there. He's a, the little guy. And uh, <clears throat> you want to you wanna get him to your product, you're going to do so a number of ways, right? You've got to create different ways where, where he and you can, can get in touch with him, uh, with this product, and get him to experience. Now, typically, this is the, the big one, uh, is through some type of online presence, right? Facebook or whatever, whatever marketing, advertising, uh, another one would be events. You might host an event, right? Come, come to a, a picnic. We have uh, whatever, uh, and or some some public event. And then, of course, there's there's a, a, a personal, some type of personal thing, a follow up, a, uh, a direct email. Even though that's kind of online, but it's it's kind of direct, right? And, and, and this is the way the 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 world interacts. And uh, and I want to talk about some things because there's some observable factors of success and one of that is that companies who rely exclusively on the the one that they all love in fact if you if you look at a discussion of touch points the first five are all going to be about internet and and those companies that rely most heavily on that to the exclusion of the other things will be the ones who fail most frequently uh, without developing a personal relationship with your customer or client you're going to fail. Uh, but this is the one that's most attractive. 
uh, especially for kids coming out of college and they got their, their business degree and their, their computer techie degree and all that stuff. And this is where they want to focus on. But, but, the, but if you miss that interactive element, right, you're, you're going to, to miss. Um, and, and even within those, the personal interactions that have most directly to do with your product and they're not just like, hey, come to this event, uh, those things where, where you interact with them and the product are, are the ones that are going to be most successful. I'll give you an example. Uh, I went to Turkey uh, and I was, I was in Istanbul uh, for a couple of days trying to get our visas, which didn't work out. But uh, in the meantime, uh, it was kind of interesting for a couple of days. Um, and I, I, I saw a sightseeing and I went into one of these carpet shops. So I was just like, oh, I'll, I'll go in and see these silk carpets. And they're good salesmen. They are good salesmen there. And so, so I sat down with this guy. I mean, it was like sitting down with Alibaba and the 40 Thieves. I mean, and, 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 and he's sitting there and he's this big guy, really nicely groomed and, and, and everything. And he sits down and he has someone bring out an apple tea. That's a big thing in, in Istanbul. The apple teas. And, and, uh, and so I'm, I'm having apple tea with this, this guy that's like, I, I mean, gold chains and everything everywhere. And uh, and out comes, you know this. I mean, it's it's like uh, it's like the genie like came out of the lamp, and this guy is huge, and uh, and he takes this carpet, and uh, it is massive carpet, and he just goes like this, and I mean it sailed open and lands. It is like a ten by something out of fifteen carpet. I don't know. It was huge. This this silk carpet's ten thousand dollars. Right? And he's going through all this. And it was such a thing. I'm like trying to figure out, do I have $10,000? <laughs> I know. Oh, we got down to a one foot square thing. Like you would stand on it. It was like 500 bucks. I'm trying to figure out how I have 500. I don't have 500 bucks, but there's a part of me that's trying to figure out how I have 10,000 because it was such an experience and it was such a personal thing that he's doing. I felt bad for walking out of his store without any paying for anything. I drank his apple tea. He's like, I don't know. He's going to make his money. He's just got to do one of those. He's probably got to do one of those a month. And he's set. That's that personal connection. I, I, I wanted to be a part of what he was doing. What he was offering is those, those touch points. There's a... I want to get into some scripture here. Acts chapter 20. Now from Miletus, he, this is Paul, sent to Ephesus, and he called the elders of the church to come up to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, and with tears and trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith, in our Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, uh, we, we kind of went through this a couple of years ago. Began, I think, uh, 2020 with this verse. Uh, but but this this concept uh, that that what we think of as new and creating touch points and we've got to have events and we've got to do this. Well, this is a public thing. He starts publicly. He says, "I, I taught you publicly." And, and I taught you privately. I taught in person. And, and I created these different ways. And, and it, it established a church 
based on this concept. I knew a guy um, kind of used this uh, idea, and he said, um, we had business cards, and, and they, they were all the same, and, and we just handed them out to different people. And it just said concerned Christian on it. That's all it said, and, and it had the, a number. You like you had a place you could put your number on the back or whatever. Uh, and so anyway, so I said I got a I got a phone call from from someone, and, and they, they wanted to talk. And this this girl, she she wanted to talk to us. Went over and and she says I was having a really bad day today. I'm a manager at McDonald's, and three Christians, so three people from your church came through my line today and handed me this same card. And he said, it was essentially, what, what do I have to do to be a part of your church? He was knocking down his door. It was touch points. It was this, this idea of creating personal, meaningful connections with the product. And that's going to maybe make you feel awkward that we're talking today about Christianity as a product, but, but just bear with me, because it is, in, in a sense. Uh, and we need to think about it that way, uh, at least for this morning. So it's not really that new of an idea. It's got a new word. But um, the other idea here, he says, testifying to both Jews and Greeks. Uh, another thing that we want to do if we're going to optimize uh, is that we have to be diversified, right? Maybe you hear that word a lot. You, you have to, you, you can't limit Who your audience is, or you're gonna you're gonna limit the success. So uh, I want to look at another word. Um, we'll talk about customer ties. This is kind of connected to the same idea. Um, so so here we have over here on on the right a uh, a client. He's got an established relationship with his. Uh, or, or business, he's got a in the middle is his his client, and they have a established business. Uh, however, I'm over here, and I want that business. How do I do that? He's got already established client, right? Well, I'm going to create touch points. That doesn't do anything because he's already established, right? His marketing, and so I'm going to have to do something. Uh, I'm going to have to replace this, and so what I'm going to do is I, I'm going to uh, hope that there we go. Well, I've established a tie, and 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 I've taken one tie away from him, but but he's still got two, and, and so eventually, once I replace that, now my pull is stronger than his pull. Right? That's the idea here. And that's when I pull that prospective client away. The business principle, and, and um, as I I said a couple, uh, I forget who I was talking with. I did I did sales for two days. Um, so, so I'm familiar with that concept. <laughs> it's a biblical concept. Little children, you are from God and you have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak of the world. And the world listens to him. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Well, <clears throat> I want to look at something because when we, we, we take this little snippet of this passage, greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. And we, we, we've, we've memorized that and, and we've learned that. And 
We've typically looked at that from the perspective, and it's fair, it's a, it's a good application. But we've, we've typically looked at this from the perspective of um, I can overcome trials or temptations or various things because, because God is in me. But that's not the surrounding context. The surrounding context has to do with Christians representing Christ to the world around them and having an influence because of the power that's in them and because of God who's in them. That's the context. He's talking about our public faith. And he's saying, listen, you have a stronger pull. You have something that can develop a stronger pull to those people. Right now, they've got a service provider. His name is Satan. And we're trying to pull them, if you think of it, so, so think about this product. I've got this wonderful product, and, and, and I need to go from creating touch points to actually creating relationships and pulling people to this awesome product that God has to offer them. That's what this is. He says, greater is he that's in you. He's got something much greater. But we have to have the right... Equation. That's important. Now, any number of things can pull people. Any number of those things. People have all sorts of things. If you think about it in the business sense, uh, people have all sorts of things that they have a product and, and they like certain products for. Some of us, like, we're, we're interested in money. Now, how much does that thing cost? I cannot. That's, that's, that costs too much. Some people... They just like the company because um, the customer service is good. Like I, 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 I won't go there because I, I, I call up and, and I never get anybody. They don't speak my language. Whatever the thing is, I, I, can't, I can't get a hold of anybody. I go through like voicemail. Like it's like Tarzan in the jungle, and it is like I can't get to a person. And, and I just I don't. So, so for them, customer service. And there's all sorts of things. Some, it's very convenient. This is a convenient thing. Uh, so I go to this place and do this thing because it's convenient right next to my house or whatever. There's all sorts of different things that attract some people. Quality. Whatever the best thing is, I don't care. What the cost is, I'm going to buy. I, I'm going to buy. I'm going to research and the most quality. That no expense is too, too, too high. Right? So, so people have all sorts of different values. And it should not be a surprise that, uh, that churches focus on different things uh, in, in their marketing and in, in trying to get this product to people. But we have to have the right equation. That's important. So here's a passage, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. It says, Preach the word, be instant, in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but because of their itching ears, they will gather teachers to themselves that justify desires and will turn their ears away from the truth and towards myths. The idea is here that... that uh, There are different things to appeal to. And some of those are not things that God cares about appealing to. Appealing to convenience and appealing to cost, God couldn't care less about. <coughs> Here's the thing, is that if, if, if I appeal 
But uh, look at this practice. <coughs> and I want to appeal to people's convenience. Well, it might be convenient, but they'll just... I'm a stepping stone until they find something more convenient. Because there will eventually be a church that offers a more convenient time, or, or, or what have you. Like, hey, I can do this online, or I can, I, you know, whatever the thing is. They do. They do uh, Saturday evening, or they do Friday, whatever. You appeal to that. You can appeal to that, and you'll get people for a little bit. And they'll be looking for the next thing. So it's just the right equation. There are people that offer cheap grace. We can offer cheap grace here. Right? Um, by cheap grace, I mean I can lower our standards a little bit. But I will be a stepping stone until they find free grace. And, and I realize grace is a free gift. That's what Ephesians says. But what I mean when I say that is I mean free grace in the sense of it costs me nothing personally. There's absolutely no responsibility. There are churches that offer that. Come as you are. Hey, stay the same. And I will only be a stepping stone. So God is not interested in that equation. He's interested in the right touch points. He's interested in the right, the right types of customer ties. He's looking for things that last, that someone won't be able to pull me back, pull my client back from me, right? That's what he's interested in. The right equation. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 God says, I want some substance in it. Oh, we're, I don't know how that did not get in there. Let's, uh, let's back up here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 18, he begins, he says, um, God is faithful, and our word to you, that's 2 Corinthians. I was like, well, that's not the right one. Here we go. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? And so, so God says, there's something of substance. And people around, are, are they're, they're not looking for that necessarily. They're looking for something easy. They're, they're looking for those, it, they have the itchy ears with the myths that, that, that Paul wrote to Timothy about. And this is, I, I want something of quality. I want something of substance. It's difficult. But there's something there that if you can get past the difficulty of it, it's a product that you'll stay with. Right? You, you have products that you will never leave because of the quality of it. And you go, oh, I wish it wasn't so expensive. But you will shell out for it because it's a good product. When people become familiar with Christianity, in spite of the cost of it, they'll stick with it. Don't appeal with fluff. So let's turn to the last one you've heard of, return on investment. Efficiency, as I say, is not a modern idea. Um, let's talk about two things here. The, uh, 2 Corinthians 9.6, he says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Business principle. Um, so let's talk about volume. Uh, you go somewhere, they want your email. You ever notice that? Everybody wants your email. Why do they want my email? 
you have 17 email addresses. Most of them are junk mail, right? He's like, oh, my, that junk mail is getting too overrun. I'm going to get to start another one. Now, here I have my junk email. They want your email address. They know. Here's what they know. I had someone tell me this. There's a, a calculatable number. I forget what it is. For every so many email addresses they get, they will get a certain number of clients. It's a number. It's hard and fast. The more, and that's a new idea. No, it existed a long time before the email. You sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. If we limit ourselves in terms of the people we are bringing the gospel to, guess what? We're going to limit the people who can respond. It's a math problem. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 says, It's like a man going on a journey. He calls his servants to him, and he trusted to them his property. Remember this parable? And he gives them all of this, this stuff. He's, he gave ten talents. He gave this guy five talents. He gave one guy one talent. Now, <clears throat> I want to talk about talents. It's unfortunate to me that the English language has the word talent in it. Because we look at that and we make the natural connection between what? The parable and abilities. Now, it's a wonderful application. And, and, and if our English language was different, it would still be a wonderful application. But if, if, the, if we spoke their language, it would come across a lot different to us. If Jesus came today and he said it was like a man who, uh, who came... Uh, to the people he owned, and he gave to one $10,000. Another he gave $5,000. And to another guy he gave $1,000. We might have a different take on this parable, wouldn't we? That's kind of what it was like. That, that's a pretty close approximation. Not, I mean, not necessarily in the sums, but this is a money parable. Hate to say it. It has other applications. It's about our, uh, about our resources, is what it's about. It's about our assets. This man gives his assets and he says, invest it, please. And <clears throat> he expects our resources to be utilized for ministry, including cold, hard talents. Right? My cold, hard resources are expected. I cringe sometimes when we stand up here and, and, and we say, things. God, God doesn't need your money. Okay, that's technically a true statement. That's technically true. God can get along fine. He doesn't need me neither. <laughs> we can lower the standard. Our success depends upon the use of all of our assets, not just my abilities. Not just my time. That those are valuable. All of my commodities are valuable to God. However, I want to look um, in Matthew chapter 25. I want to stay there because sometimes God works counter to our, our assumptions. 
In this text, he says, He who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you'd be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. So see, here you have back what is yours. Now, I'm not sure the logic... It's a parable, so it's not a true story. So there is no logic, it's just a story. So we can put into this story a lot of different motives that humans would have. The result and what Jesus puts in the story is the only thought process here. But it is a story, to me, about incentive. Something, or many things, can affect a person in a situation and lower our incentive to invest our resources. Now, this person, the one thing we know is he concludes this. The master has the ability to get dividends where he hasn't invested. Anybody ever done that? That's, I think, illegal. Right? I've never, I've never got, I'm not a big investor. I have some, and I, you know, like a, uh, get like a, a four dollar thing from one of the other. I don't, I don't get a lot of quarterly, right? But, uh, but I know I only get that because there's something in there to begin with. This owner says, I have the ability to get returns where I don't invest. So when we say God doesn't need your money, that is technically true. That was not a good conclusion to draw from. However, because that's the conclusion that this guy drew. I don't need to do anything. Here it is back, you at least have what you started with. And God says, that's not what I was looking for. Incentive. He says, listen, if you knew that to be true, then how much more would I have produced with your involvement? I would have been that much further ahead. Thank you for this. But no thank you. That's not what I'm looking for. This is that part of cheap grace that we're talking about. I just want to get by. I don't really want to be personally invested. I don't want any personal sacrifice. I just kind of want to be involved. That's an odd thing for God to say, I don't have to sow to reap. And I, I don't have to sow to reap. If you're doing something, this is the way I've always understood it, because the application to, the, to me has always been interesting here. What does this actually mean? What does this statement mean practically? Because it's a parable, but it has to mean something. This is just what I've observed, and I've, I've shared this before. I know I've shared this before, but I've just noticed that if I am talking, people a lot of times that I talk to have no interest, and then something else will come from nowhere. You ever have that happen? I had, I had no idea. I, I, I read where I don't sow. You thought you were sowing right there, and you were going to get something there, but that's not how I work. You just talk. You just you just talk. You just go ahead and do your thing. Invest, and I, I I'll bring it from somewhere else. But if you're not talking, it's not coming. 
If you're not out there creating touch points and, and, and customers and all that, all that thing that we talk about, it's not coming. Let God worry about the how that all takes place. That's not for me to figure out how God does that. But it works. It's a business principle that works completely opposite the way we assume. The last point. I want to turn to 1 Corinthians 69. He says, A wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. That is not the way I think of it. Right? That's not the way I want to optimize. You know, we, we have a chance for business growth. What we should do is put our business right near someone with an established clientele that everybody right there likes that business. Right? Like, uh, that doesn't seem to be... There are lots of... I'm going to invest in this community and there's a lot of people that don't want us there. That doesn't seem like the way I would do that. There's so many variations of this. But, but trying to get your product out there where people don't want it seems to me to be a bad business model. Right? Doesn't it? You guys, and Paul says, there's a wide door for effective service, but there's a lot of people that don't want it. Well, God says, that's how I optimize. That doesn't make sense. I want to invest my money and my resources where I think I have a better chance of getting a return. Don't you do that? Yeah. Paul says, this is a volatile market and has lots of risk, but it has lots of upside. Mm -hmm. well, that, that actually does make a little sense now when I think about it. Why is there a lot of opposition? And that's the question we need to ask. Because Satan has an existing clientele. And he is going to devote his resources to keeping them. So where Satan feels vulnerable, he's going to try to keep his clientele by putting pressure on anybody coming in. That's where the open door is. Paul is looking at the, the ability, not, not, the, not how easy it is. But the, the opportunity to influence people. Well, if I'd start developing ties with his client, I'm probably going to get some resistance, aren't I? He's not going to silently let me develop all that. There's going to be... There's going to be he's got some incentive, too. Right? There's some risk involved. We have to understand that there's risk involved. And we, we like to optimize things by limiting risk. And that's not, that's not how God works. It's not how Paul worked. No black screen. We lament the increasing pagan society around us. Anybody think of, look at the world around us and go, it seems to be getting worse. We lament that. That's the society that Paul's in. And what Paul is telling you 
is that this type of society is the one that Christianity contrasts most sharply with. It's, it's the one where Christianity actually shines brighter in. It has more opportunity. That's why he's talking about that opportunity there. It is that type of society that not only has the needs, because any society has needs, but they are more likely to recognize it when they see the superior product. When they see actual solutions to deep personal problems that they live with on a daily basis, that's where Christianity has the ability. Don't run from that. If we want to create touch points with society, don't think about it in those terms. Think about it as touching society. Well, that's a little different. Touch people. Touch your community. And if I'm going to get out the most out of what I have been given, out of my resources, out of all of that, then I have to be totally and personally invested. That's how God optimizes. 